Phone booth fighting is hitting the road again this weekend. Frank and I are headed to L.A. for Eddie Bravo Invitational 8th Edition, EBI 8, at the Orpheum Theater in downtown Los Angeles. And we are proud to announce that our road trip is once again brought to you by our title sponsor, Layout Optics. Check them out at layoutoptics.com. That's L-E-A-O. O-P-T-I-C-S dot com. Layoutoptics.com. You can also follow them on Instagram at layout underscore optics. Handcrafted bamboo shades that reflect the jujitsu lifestyle in addition to the signature sunglasses. They have rash guards. They have t-shirts, hats. A lot of jujitsu lifestyle accessories that you see myself and Frank Mir wearing on our social media, and we'll certainly be sporting our Layout Optics gear at Eddie Bravo Invitational this weekend. Right now, especially for phone booth fighting listeners, Layout Optics is making a special 15% off your purchase order. Go to layoutoptics.com and enter the promo code PHONEBOOTH15. That's promo code PHONEBOOTH15 for 15% off of your order of Layout Optics courtesy of your friends here at Phone Booth Fighting. And by friends, I mean me, Richard, and Frank, and Layout Optics. Thanks to those great guys for sponsoring the road trip to EBI once again. Eddie Bravo himself will join us for Friday's show to preview EBI 8. And with that, let's get tonight's show started. Oh, oh, oh. You're listening to Phone Booth Fighting. I'm Richard Hunter. He is Frank Mir, the two-time UFC heavyweight champion of the world. And uh, we're doing what we do twice a week right here on the back porch of stately Mirror Manor in suburban Las Vegas. And that's Bring You Folks a Podcast. New episodes upload every Tuesday and Friday. And you can grab those episodes via iTunes, via Stitcher Radio via Google Play, via SoundCloud, or right there off the desktop at phoneboothfighting.com. Get your official Phone Booth Fighting logo t-shirts right now at phoneboothfightingshop.com. Phoneboothfightingshop.com. That is how you can support the show monetarily and verbally, of course. You can just tell a friend. That's uh, that's for free, and yet it is invaluable to us if you spread the word and uh, tell your friends about phone booth fighting. Hello, Frank. Hey. What's going on? I'm here. We uh, Frank and I were working separately this weekend, so we got to catch everybody up uh, on that. Uh, I was uh, doing comedy here in Vegas, and you were doing jujitsu in where? MMA. Oh, you were so not just a jujitsu clinic. No, not really. I mean, there's a lot of guys out there that uh, you know. Uh, I think I say jujitsu and terminology because obviously it's such a strong influence on my styles to teach finishes and yeah. you know that to me is the ultimate to get in and finish everything with a choke. But uh, like when I teach uh, my seminars, I I teach MMA. You know, so we go out there. You know, and I don't really get into the details of the striking aspect too much. But you know, throw a punch. We go for a takedown. I show A's and B's of different ideas and concepts, and I run through a series all the way until it finishes with a submission and then you know we go over and over and then you know a lot of Q&A and solving and most of Q&A is derived basically to you know getting out of stuff or applying finishing holds but yeah you know, obviously uh, you know finishing is one of my strongest uh, you know what I'm known for and I think you know when people fly me in that's what they want to see me uh, show 
but uh, my stuff, you know, uh, I can teach with a gi on and I can show no gi stuff. But, you know, let's face it, I won a world title because of my uh, submission abilities, my jujitsu abilities within the realm of MMA fighting. Mm-hmm. And where was the seminar this weekend? Uh, this time I was in Tulsa, Oklahoma. So uh-huh. I, I flew out there. I, I went, I like Delta now. So I've been trying to rack up my frequent flyer miles. And <laughs> are, you, are, are you basing your MMA seminars on where Delta flies to? Is no, not really, because oh. actually, uh, <laughs> Delta to go to uh, the Midwest area in Oklahoma and all that seems like uh, they got to fly out of Atlanta. Uh-huh. And for whatever reason, I get stuck in Atlanta every time. Wait a minute, know. do you mean you went to Atlanta to get to Oklahoma City or yeah, Tulsa? Well, actually, I flew into uh, Fayetteville, or Northwest Arkansas. Okay, hold on a second. Vegas to, to Fayetteville? No, Vegas to Atlanta City. Okay, Vegas to Atlanta or uh, Atlantic? Yeah, uh, Atlanta. Sorry. Atlanta I hope. City. Yeah, you didn't take you to Atlantic no, City. No, no, I'm somehow. sorry. Okay, uh, okay. Uh, to Atlanta, and yeah. then from Atlanta, Georgia, then I. Uh, um, connecting flight to go to Fayetteville, uh, Arkansas, okay. which was then at that point I stayed with Troy, my good friend that helps me set up the seminars and yeah. stuff. He's the guy that does all the cold calls for me and, you know, gets me out and gets me you know uh, out there in the world. And from there, we uh, I just stayed at his place over the weekend, and we just drove out Saturday. It's, oh, okay. It was about an hour and 15-minute drive yeah. to Tulsa. That's not bad. So, yeah. Okay, excellent. So what? Uh, so there at that so, G three Academy. Yeah, uh, Trey, uh, his gym. It was a bunch of good guys. It was a, it was a good seminar. A couple ladies, you know. Mm-hmm. So that was on Saturday. Yep. Yeah, and uh, so there's going to be more seminars coming up. By the way, uh, do you know some of the some of the towns you're hitting? We don't have to get uh, the exact dates. Well, I'll be out there but, again in Tulsa. I think uh, here September sixteenth, seventeenth. Okay. That weekend, yeah. where it might be 17th, 18th, I got to look at the phone. Okay. Um, and then I think I'm going back out there again on the 1st. Wait, all these are Tulsa? Uh, uh, I got one I get closer. You know how I yeah. am, man. Yeah, okay. I'll do what. Get- <laughs> Mrs. Mears has got to get out of here. We got to call Troy. <laughs> Sometimes I don't know where I'm at till I check in. Yeah, okay. So- I check the flight. People are like, where are you at? I'm like, I don't know. I'll check my itinerary real quick to find where I'm flying to. So good news for the uh, for the citizens of Tulsa, anyway, that uh, are interested in attending a, uh, a Frank Mayer seminar. We'll get the other dates, the other cities uh, up for you guys on our phone booth fighting social media. So uh, check that if uh, you want to go out and train with Frank. So uh, Saturday in Tulsa, and then uh, how do you – so so what do you – is it like a – how long does it go? How long does well, seminar go? go um- Two or three hours. Uh-huh. I usually break it down to where uh, I'm not big into warming people up. I feel like that's kind of, you know, uh, that just, uh, that's like packing a bunch of ice into a drink or something. You, know, mm, sit there, yes. you know, if, you know, people know their own bodies and they're not paying me to show, you know, take them right. through a warm up. You know, right. some guys do that, but I think that's kind of pads the seminar. And yeah. I'm long winded as it is. I need to, uh, you know, my zone go over without any warm ups. So, yeah. you know, start out, you know, I let guys know, show up a half hour early, you know, do what you have to do to get your body moving around. But it isn't like we're going to jump in anything super crazy. And then I explain certain concepts and, uh, you know, what I'm going to go about, kind of overview of what we're working on and uh, go through it and show how I think. And then within that realm of me showing uh, a technique from, you know, starting from the striking range all the way until it finishes on the ground with a finish, uh, you know, the different transitions. I show a lot of A's and B's. And then, you know, I also explain to people while we're doing the seminar how I use this to train with and how I drill with my partners and how thou, you know, the guy can drill that he, you know, it's his choice when I engage, whether he's going to dig an underhook or he comes over the top and clinches with a wizard. So now I have to make decisions 
positions, you know, and so now you you have either your A technique or your B technique, you know, your single, your head outside or your double or whatever the case may be, but now you're having to make decisions. So it's kind of quasi sparring without going full blown live. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, you know, I'm I'm not very much into I mean when you first learn a technique, you know, I show you something, I'm gonna stand there like, you know, a scarecrow. But that it's hard to go from that to applying a move on somebody in, in, in reality of, you know, live training. And so I think the in-between is that, you know, like, uh, let's say I show someone an arm bar, umaplata type of transition. Okay, I'm going to go arm bar here. If they pull out, I'm going to go shoulder lock here. So now I show both, and then I show how they transition between the two. And then when you drill them, like I'll drill them on you, I might go for the arm, and you might give me the shoulder lock. You know, as being a good partner, you're going to give me a live feel within the realm of what we're trying to apply you're not just going to sit there and jump on a footlock real quick it's like well hold on i'm i'm working on these two concepts here and you kind of be more of a uh, a reactive partner which i think gives a more of a realistic feel and you know you need reps and you need realistic reps to apply a move uh like i said it's hard to go from you know a stationary stagnant body a guy who's just completely cooperating with you to all of a sudden, okay, let's go and apply it while I have a guy who's going to completely not cooperate with me. So it's that in-between type of uh, training. And so I try to, uh, you know, put those concepts in there. So that, that takes about an hour, hour and a half to two hours, or hour and a half to two hours, I'll do that. And then I usually spend about a half hour on Q&A. It could be anything to where, you know, it's their opportunities. They paid for the seminar. You can ask me something about a particular fight. You can ask me something that's giving you a hard time in the gym particularly. And then I usually spend the last half hour doing you know all right everybody now it's time we'll do pictures autographs so you know anybody brought anything in they want signed or you know we'll do all the you know we usually do a real a group picture with everybody and then you know everybody busts out their phones and if their mom or dad or wife or significant other came and watched them train they jump on the mat take pictures and yeah, like i said it takes about three hours and usually then at that point all you know uh this isn't part of the seminar but then we'll all go out and eat together you know just kind of hang out and you know i have to eat lunch so we'll just go and hang out and very cool. Yeah. That's kind of like uh, my MO. Well, that sounds like a lot of fun to it. It sounds like a uh, Frank Mir summer camp, like yeah. a day camp. Do you wear a uh, whistle around your neck and hold a clipboard <laughs> like a camp counselor? No. No. I do have a couple little you know things I do. You know, you'll get the one, two, three clap just so uh-huh. it's funny. Um, I got that from Drysdale at the end of showing a technique. He has that, all right, all right, everybody, one, two, three, and everybody claps. Uh-huh. It's the uh, significant, you know, it's basically it's the... Uh, Okay, now I'm done speaking. No one had any questions. Now break off into your partners and go. Okay. <laughs> and uh, before that, I always kind of had stragglers. I'd go, all right, guys, go to your technique. And people are looking. They're like, okay, no, no, start rolling. So that helped me. Uh, I got that from him, that, 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 okay, that real definitive, all right, this is the technique. Any questions? Let me show it again. No. Okay, everybody has it. All right, all right. One, two, three, clap, boom. That means break, go to your spots. By the way, Robert Drysdale uh, becoming a recurring cast member on The Ultimate Fighter. Two seasons in a row now, he's been one of the team's jiu-jitsu coaches. He coached uh, Ioana and Jacek's team last season, and this season he's doing uh, Joe Benavidez's team. Did you see the first episode yet of Ultimate Fighter? No, I haven't caught it yet. Check it out. I want to see this season, though. I'm very interested with the fact that everybody's – they're a champion in their own right. It's going to be a good one, I feel. So far, I, yeah, I agree. I think I think this season is really interesting because this isn't – and, uh, you know, Dana talked about that on the, the first episode. This isn't a situation of, okay, we're going to see who has what it takes to be a professional fighter because every one of these guys is a professional flyweight fighter and they're the champion 
of their own uh, organization. Some organizations better known than others, right. but they're all professional organizations. They're all seasoned veterans. Yeah, they've all been seated. And I also think it's interesting that the coaches are are not only set to fight each other, but they're coaching within their own mm-hmm. weight class. Yeah, they're, they're, they are potentially uh, helping out a guy that they could fight. Could you imagine you sit there and Joseph sees a guy and sits there and realizes maybe there's a you know a, a, an aspect to his you know a technique that he's doing that you know he helps him polish. Yeah, and that you know does that not in the back of your mind that maybe you're helping the guy get a little bit better and you know a year and a half from now that's somebody that you're going to be staring across uh, the octagon at. And what's gonna well and think about this too. So what's gonna happen? All right, the winner of the show is gonna fight. Demetrius on uh, December third or tenth, whatever that date. Yeah. yeah, yeah, the yeah, at the third beginning of December, right. right? Okay, here in Vegas for the flyweight title, and Joe and Henry are going to fight each other, and you would figure, okay, well, maybe you know the the winner of that fight either gets the maybe they get the next title shot. You know, maybe they get the winner right. of Demetrius and whoever's going to win the show. But think about this. Demetrius is, you know, pretty much beat everybody in the division. What's going to happen if there's a strong number two guy in that show? What's mm-hmm. going to happen if there's a guy where, you know, maybe he doesn't, he comes up short in the final or something, but you go, man, I want to see that guy Absolutely. get a shot. Well, in that case, you, you like you just said, the, the scenario of um, you might have Cejudo or Benavidez actually helping a guy that could, in theory, possibly leapfrog them. For a title shot, depending yeah. on how compelling of a or case they you have make. a situation. I haven't thought about this. Uh, I was running through my head. I'm like, they could potentially be training the guy they're going to end up fighting. Yes. Because, you know, uh, obviously they're, they're slated to face each other. But let's say the winner, you know, that gets to go ahead and fight, uh, uh, you know, um, for the title. And yeah. and let's say DJ gets hurt. Demetrius yeah. is injured. So now you have the ultimate fighter winner of that season. You know, he's ready to go. They might bump Benavides up or Cejudo up to go ahead and take him on. I'm not saying that, you know, the, I don't know if that makes sense or not, but it, it's a potential. You're on the same card. You might end up facing that guy sooner than you think. Yeah, there's a lot of interesting twists and turns to this season. So uh, we'll we'll cover it uh, as uh, the season progresses, uh, not only because I, I think it's going to be uh, a lot of compelling dynamics to it, but also a guy who's rapidly becoming associated with this show, Demetrius Mighty Mouse Johnson, is uh, is sitting atop the mountain, and the winner is going to get a uh, a title shot against him. You know, I, I I very closely monitor all of our social media feedback, and people love it when uh, Demetrius is a part of something we do. He's been on the show a number of times now, and uh, of course, most recently. How do you not like the guy? I know. Most recently, he was our uh, live guest out at the phone booth fighting taping we did uh, a couple of nights before UFC 202 at LA Comedy Club here at the Stratosphere in Vegas. People love that episode. Somebody, somebody uh, messaged me and messaged us on our phone booth fighting Facebook page and said they just didn't want that episode to end. <laughs> so uh, that's a good sign. That's awesome. And then speaking of what we were a little bit touching on there for a second, uh, you're right, Drysdale is just, it's kind of a no-brainer. If you come into town, a lot of the coaches and a lot of the participants that, you know, that are on the show, they're flying from other places to come here and they got to stay here for six to eight weeks, you know, for the uh, the taping. And um, 
not everybody's in a situation where they can just get up and leave their home for two months and come here in Vegas. And, uh, it's not like while you're on the show, you're not making a lot of money as one of the assistants on there, uh, as a coach. Mm -hmm. And so Drysdale just, I think makes a lot of sense to a lot of people because here you have a guy who's a quality multiple time world champion in the jujitsu world. Who's made that transition to MMA. Uh, every single one of his professional fights and amateur fights has ended in a submission. He submitted everybody. No one's gone the distance with him. And we, you know, high-level guys, myself, Randy Couture, uh, you know, basically a who's who in Vegas has always used Drysdale as somebody to show us how to become better at, uh, you know, applying finishes, hold, finishing holds and how to avoid being stuck in them, you know. And so uh, I think that's why he's just an easy pick. It's, you know, you're flying into town. It'd be kind of like if all of a sudden the show was taping in uh, L.A. and, you know, it's like the wild card gym's there. And if you, all of a sudden Freddie Roach volunteers his time, like, yeah. well, why wouldn't you use him as a boxing coach why wouldn't you you know freddie roach is there and he's a local he's just going to come over and you know that's the equivalence of what you know uh, uh, drysdale is in, in the submission world we got to get him over to just sit in on the show sometime absolutely especially uh one of the times i'm hoping it, he was too busy this last time because he was getting ready to fight himself uh about a week before our last uh, eddie bravo um outing uh we have to call him up and see where he's at right now i haven't been in the gym for about two months with him because of you know the injury that i had that i'm going to take care of but uh i'm gonna give him a ring and see if uh here on the uh was it the 11th are we going out there? sunday sunday certainly glad you mentioned that because is it this uh, sunday yep this sunday oh man see, I'm, yeah yeah <laughs> uh, so i am going out of town this weekend <laughs> yes you are you and me both uh we're loading up the prius and we're headed to la for eddie bravo invitational eight eddie himself is going to be when comes we're going to take the escalator <laughs> okay fair enough uh but one way or another we're getting there we're gonna make a little larger of a carbon footprint but it'll be a little bit more comfortable that's okay yeah we'll uh we'll be there sunday uh, at the orpheum theater in la Eddie Bravo himself will be joining you and me, Frank, on uh, Friday's episode. I was talking to him today, so he's going to phone in and break down what's uh, ahead for EBI 8. So our Wednesday taping show that we air on Friday. That's right. So we're going to be over at No Regrets, and he's calling in? Didn't think about that. Yeah, let's have him call in here and then we'll drive to no regrets or we'll that's what you know what we'll do here's what last we'll do. time remember i almost got into a fight with that, the guy over there i was yelling at him yeah. I had to punk him, and you know I me mean, i don't punk people very often <laughs> i forgot about that yeah i had to tell the guy dude you're being a dick and you're disrespecting me oh he changed gears pretty quickly you know and i was trying to be nice i walked yeah. over and everything i could to be like hey we're taping something here so insulting the guy was like well it's a podcast right and it's not live oh that would upset me i'm like asshole he's I'm making like, enemies out of two people yeah it's like, are you kidding me? Do you some, know the amount some of editing? dumb podcast you're doing over there? And you're telling me to keep quiet over here? I'm all, yeah, actually, I am. I'd, be, asking, I'd be jumping up and down in the background going, do you know the amount of editing involved in your <laughs> disruption, sir? Uh, yeah, good thing you didn't come <laughs> over. He thought, Hold I got back. angry just because I hate when I'm trying to be nice to somebody and I'm giving you opportunity after opportunity to go ahead and be like, hey, Let's just, you know, hey, yeah. hey, I'll give you another shot. Okay, here's another one. Okay, one more toss-up. All right, you know what? Three strikes, you're out, buddy. You know what? You didn't want to deal the nice version? We're going to go ahead and go dick. That's right. I forgot about that. Yeah, so so we're going to be, uh, if you're here in Vegas uh, on Wednesday, make your plans to come out and join myself and Frank at No Regrets Bar right off of the 215. Uh, leave the look up No Regrets Bar, follow them on social media, or look on our social media. We'll give you all the details before Wednesday. You want to come out and watch a live taping. But what we'll do, Frank... Feel bad if you have a hard time finding it. We all had a hard time finding that the first time. That's right. That's right. It's worth it. Uh, it it's, it's worth an awesome the quest. Awesome bar though, hanging out. Yeah, it is a lot of fun, and uh, you can. If uh, we get enough people to turn out, 
uh, show up. I'll jump up, up on stage. Will you? Yes, oh, of you course. Will. I know you will. Of course. If we get enough people. Keep me off of let's, it. Let's jump up on there. We'll, okay. She has that little stage there that she'll yeah. do music acts. Yeah, we'll hook right. up. Okay, we'll do it. So uh, come on out, and uh, you get up close and personal with us. That's No Regrets Bar for Wednesday night's taping. That will be the episode that posts on Friday. Eddie Bravo will join us via phone. I'll tell you what we'll do, Frank. We'll record that in the car Okay, uh, where it's nice and quiet. You're right. We'll set up in the yeah. car first. Talk That's to Eddie, what we'll do because I don't want to be disrespectful, and 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 I really respect you know Eddie what he's done yeah. now. You know, he's uh he's he's an innovator. Uh, he's oh, really, I mean, he's made me love jujitsu all over again. I get so excited it just even to, I, I, talking to him today. It just gets me excited talking to him because I know it's EBI week. You know, I know that I'm going to talk to him on the phone, and then that phone conversation is going to lead to him coming on the show, and then him coming on the show is going to lead to us going there on yeah. Sunday. It's exciting. If you have not seen EBI and you can uh, watch it, it's part of the fight UFC Fight Pass package. It now streams on there live. So if you're not in the uh, Southern California, <laughs> Las Vegas area, you can just watch yeah. it and on there. And these are genuine endorsements, people. We, yeah, he doesn't um, pay us a dime for this. I wouldn't mind getting paid. I right. mean, we always look for any way I can make a dollar. But at the uh, right now, I mean, I'm genuinely, you know, when Richard first came out and told me he was jumping up and down, singing the praises of the show. And and now if you've listened to the show and us talking and going out there and you can get it on Fight Pass and watch, um, it's everything and more what they said. And I think that this has really brought back submission grappling, you know, no yeah. grappling, you know, uh, you know, uh, he doesn't do a gi matches, but the, the EBI rules, you know, I think, you know, Abu Dhabi, you know, the, uh, back to, had the idea of trying to do the no points points, trying to get guys to be aggressive with submissions and not make it a point fighting game. Um, and then, you know, Metamoris, you know, and a couple of other submission grappling tournaments out there really tried, but then they always had these ending and draws. Mm -hmm. That was the downfall of not having points. And um, Bravo has figured out a way to make it to where now there's a definitive winner and there's not guys playing the point game. Yeah, it's uh, Sunday uh, live streaming on Fight Pass, Orpheum Theater. Frank and I will be there. And uh, Gordon Ryan is going to be competing. They're doing middleweights, awesome. middleweights this time. Gordon Ryan is the youngest of the three prongs. I assume he's the youngest uh, of the oh, yeah. uh, of the Eddie Cummings, uh, Gary Tonin, uh, Gordon Ryan, John Danaher led uh, leg locking death squad, I think. If I, that's the exact name or not, but it's a good one if it's not exactly. But uh, anyway, so yeah, so that's all going to be uh, Sunday when Frank and I road trip to L.A. over the week. Plus, we just get to do a road trip. Those are always so much fun. They are. They have like some pretty it. good conversations on there. We do. We record while we're in the car. Those have been some we of our talk most... talk a lot of stuff that we don't record. <laughs> we do. Those have been some of our most downloaded episodes, actually, is people wanting to listen to our conversations in the car, driving from Vegas to L.A. and back. So uh, we'll, we'll bring you another one of those uh, this coming weekend. Uh, all right. Uh, we got fights to talk about, Frank. Uh, this past weekend... UFC Hamburg went down. It was a card that was exclusive to Fight Pass, and at the top of the card featured uh, a contest of heavyweight contenders, both of whom you have faced in the not-too-distant past, uh, Andre Arlovsky and Josh Barnett. Uh, Andre Arlovsky ends up getting choked out by Josh Barnett. Rear naked choke in the third round, uh, what did you think? Uh, what you think of the fight? I thought it was a great fight. I thought both guys were doing uh, what, what their strengths were. You've seen that Andre was landing shots, and, uh, and several times he had stunned and hurt Josh with the boxing. 
And uh, you've seen Josh really able to, you know, also, you know, landed a, a decent little clipping shot there in the first round, but was able to use his hands to really uh, close the, the distance and, and weigh on uh, Andre. And, and you've seen how well-rounded Andre really is. He had a take down there in the first round. Uh, I had Andre winning the, fr- you know, he won the first round. and Agreed. And he was winning the second round, in my opinion, until he got taken down and, uh, and, and mounted. Uh, you know, well, he didn't get taken down. He attempted another one of those, uh, you know, outside leg trips. And that time when he went to do it, uh, Josh, being the savvy veteran that he is, it was, you know, was able to make an adjustment, even though his feet got kind of, you know, he tangled underneath of him. He was able to uh, re-roll, uh, you know, uh, Andre over the top and ended up uh, passing the guard, you know, ended up in half guard, passing to a, a full mount and um, really closed out well. And so I thought he stole the second round. And then it, you just seen Andre just really was fatigued from just, you know, the, uh, the, the, the grinding that, uh, uh, Josh had on him, but I didn't think it was a complete, you know, all Josh the third round. There were several times during the third round where, you know, Andre still had sparks of his hands flying, and you've seen uh, Barnett hurt and stunned and, you know, and fading away and, and from, you know, the power and speed of uh, and accuracy of Andre's hands. And then that, uh, you know, when he pushed against the cage and kind of had his back, I think mentally Andre, the position he was in, I think that he made the mistake of kind of taking a mental break. And uh, Josh hooked up the Kimura from standing. And uh, if Andre had just connected his hands between the legs, you know, like grabbed like a head outside single and connected his hands together, he could have maybe ran a dump or, you know, even really uh, elevate high. You've seen uh, Daniel Cormier do that to people that try to hook up the Kimura. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, actually, he did it to Josh Barnett. Tried to Barnett tried to do the same maneuver on Daniel, and Daniel, you know, connected his hands and popped his hips and threw uh, Josh on his head for his uh, for his attempt. And that's actually the correct defense for a guy going for a standing Kimura. And uh, Andre just really didn't connect it. And then it's not because he doesn't know that move. It's he was fatigued. And I think that uh, he was looking to take a breath, which, all you know, heavyweights do. We find opportunities in the fight to take a breath. And uh, Barnett really drove hard for that Kimura and used it uh, to end up on top and uh closed out well you know he he got on top on the half guard uh let the kimura go was able to get the mount and uh as soon as he took the back of uh kind of on the side it wasn't a full uh back attack on uh, barnett's side but as soon as he was uh you know turned the corner he slipped the choke in by that point i think uh andre was just so you know fatigued and gas from his effort and that's also too because he was a warrior himself uh he didn't just shut down in the second round uh he still after you know uh in, coming out in that third round after being mounted in the second round he still was digging deep and trying to you know muster every bit of his explosion he had left in his uh his system to throw what he had to look for the knockout and so i really thought it was great to see both guys out there battling it out and uh um, you know, both guys still move up in my book as far as, you know, my respect for them as fighters. It, I didn't lose any respect for either guy. No, I mean, it, it was a real competitive fight, and it had a little bit of everything, you know. It had right out of the gate, hands flying, guys stunned. It had grappling. It had war of attrition. It had cardio coming into play. It had an exciting submission finish, and the guys were rewarded accordingly. They, uh, between the two of them, split $150,000 worth of bonuses. Uh, Both guys got a performance of the night bonus worth $50,000, and Josh Barnett Double dipped and got uh, submission of the night as well, so 100 k for him. That is the only time Andre's been finished, right? 
That's right. You know what? We talked about this. I don't know if you realize how, I mean, you pretty much predicted this fight right on the nose. Because what you said was. Kind of helps when I've been in the ring with both of them. That's true. Trained a lot with Andre. Yeah, no, that's true. Because what you said on last week, last episode, was that you thought Josh would need to survive Andre early which yep. he did, and Andre rocked Josh early. And then you said that uh, you, you saw it maybe going into the, the middle of the fight, maybe even towards the, the fourth. I mean, it was, it was towards the end of the third. Right. And, uh, and that you thought that, uh, that Josh had a shot at a submission victory. Mm-hmm. And you're right. He's the first person to ever finish Andre. Yeah. I think just both guys, you have the advantage of both guys have been fighting since they were 18 years old. Yeah. There's a ton of footage on them, and, and you, you really get to see what guys are capable of. And I think that both of them, you know, uh, they're both, you know, in their later, you know, 30s, they're pushing 40. Uh, we're not going to see too many new tricks. And so they're both very good at certain aspects of their game. So sometimes when you see a guy that needs something to work on in his game, that's a glaring weakness, that's always a wild card where, well, he could improve on this and who knows what he's going to bring to the matchup. Whereas uh, here's a situation where both guys really are very, you know, uh, complete mixed martial artists that have their strengths and their go-to moves. But I, I don't, you know, they're very well rounded and you know both guys uh, are, are very good at everything and um so I, I think it made it easier to kind of pick out the x's and o's with them uh you know easier to do than sometimes you have a new guy coming out you know for example like a, a cody garbrandt mm-hmm. right now he's so new and so fresh and you know so devastating and just kind of finishing people so quickly that uh there's a lot of um unknowns there's a lot of variables so when he does matchups it's, sometimes it's harder to call those fights out yeah, it uh, you know with Andre having uh, lost this fight, he is on a three fight losing streak. However, as Josh Barnett himself pointed out, the other two losses, not uh, attached to the name Josh Barnett, are to the reigning heavyweight champion of the world, Stipe Miocic, and the guy who's going to be challenging him this weekend. Alistair Overeem yeah. so not not all uh three fight losing streaks are created equal no and that's something with the heavyweight division that's an advantage that um all the guys in the top 10 you know it in one sense it kind of sucks because there's nobody that's kind of an outlier where you get to fight a unknown unranked guy mm-hmm. because there's fewer guys in the heavyweight division so the competition's actually at a higher level. It's 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 not a maybe deeper pool than some of the other weight classes, but just the guys we do have, everybody's of quality. I mean, just before that, you have Ben Rothwell choking out uh, Josh, Josh Barnett. Barnett yeah. That just shows you, you know, here you got a metamorous, uh, uh, you know, a world champion uh, jiu-jitsu artist mm-hmm. getting submitted in the fight. And, and then so- right after that, you have Junior Dos Santos defeating Ben Rothwell. Right. So these guys are trading back and forth. I mean, at one point, uh, Alistair Overeem was on the verge of being maybe let go from the organization. Yeah. And now he comes back roaring. And, you know, after his knockout loss uh, to uh, to Rothwell in the first round, came back, uh, he had a victory over myself. Uh, he went out and smashed uh, Stefan Struve, uh, mm-hmm. goes and knocks out, uh, you know, Junior Dos Santos in the second round. And now he's vying for the title. And that's an advantage that, you know, that the heavyweight's we have that um you know our losses don't almost kind of look as bad because where some of the other weight classes you can have losses on there and you go who was that and that kind of looks bad um whereas in ours you can say well who beat you you're like well um this guy this guy and this guy and you're like oh those are all hall of famers you're like yep that's yeah (laughs) uh, uh that's an advantage well this is also a division too where a lot of times after a fight card concludes i like to 
uh, you know, lay out my my uh, my brackets, my drawing board, and try to imagine what's next. Um, this is a division where I'm not real sure right now. There's a couple of things. Uh, first of all, this this coming weekend has not only a title fight but a uh, contenders fight as the co-main event between Travis Brown and Fabricio Verdum. That rematch. Right. So we kind of need to wait and see what happens here. We need a few things yeah. to shake out before we see what's next. Well, for and Josh then Mark Barnett. Hunt, you know, he's kind of in the wings there because he was on a. You know, a resurgence himself, and you know, I know he ran into a speed bump there in the bar, in the uh, Brock Lesnar fight, where he really just basically got wrestled to death. Yeah. But you know, then it comes out that Barn, you know, that uh, Lesnar uh, had taken, you know, uh, you know, some kind of performance enhancers to make sure his strength was at a higher level, and allowed him to, you know, really enhance his wrestling and take down, uh, uh, um, take down, um. Mark Hunt more really, you know, aggressively more so than we've seen anybody really manhandle him before. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, that, that loss kind of really is no contest now. It does turn into so that. Yeah. He does, you know, so now Hunt, you know, once he, uh, you know, figures out what he wants to do, uh, you know, he's back in there in the mix too. Uh, you know, uh, so I mean, it really just, you know, goes back and forth. It's all over the place. Well, we did get some things cleared up in the light heavyweight division on the undercard. Uh, first of all, Ryan Bader, he collected the uh, remaining $50,000 of that bonus pool by scoring a knockout-of-the-night victory over Alir Latifi. Now, Bader, of course, had uh, really kind of needed to hit the restart button after uh, getting knocked out by uh, uh, Anthony Rumble Johnson, but he was still uh, highly ranked coming into this fight, sitting at number four, uh, and it was yeah, getting knocked out by Anthony Rumble Johnson. It's not really too much of. I mean, no, no one's happy about getting knocked out. But it, it's one of those things. It's kind of like how when I got caught by uh, Hunt in my last right. fight. Join I'm not club. happy with it. It pisses me off. All losses make you angry. But there's a little bit of just kind of goes down a little easier when you know it's like well. I'm kind of in a in a category, like you said, join the club of a lot of other right. high level guys that you know the guy caught, you know the guy hits hard. It's uh, you know it's you know ah. Well, Latifi was having some success against Bader in this fight uh, before Bader landed that knee, and it was one of those situations where uh, Latifi leaned into the knee. I think he thought he was ducking a punch, and uh, he he met Ryan Bader's knee, and it was. It was a walk-off knee. You know, it's funny. We were just talking about Mark Hunt and the walk-off KO. We've seen that from Hunt with the hands. Not often that you see it uh, with a knee that lands, but Bader knew immediately that Latifi was out. He was out cold. Bader gets the victory and, uh, uh, you know, uh, definitely a highlight reel finish for Bader. And as I said, he sits at number four. If you look at what happened right uh, below that on the card, actually, I – uh, you know what I said? It was a co-main event. That was actually your feature bout. The co-main event was Alexander Gustafsson and uh, Jan Blakovich. And Gustafsson outpoints Blakovich 30-27, unanimous decision. Not Gustafsson's most spectacular finish, 
but uh, definitely showed that he was back. You know, there'd been some question. He had been on that one and three run with the the loss, speaking of a murderer's row, losses to, to John Jones, uh, Rumble Johnson, and Daniel Cormier. But he had been out for quite some time, really kind of, uh, you know, getting his head together. And he, uh, he was able to take uh, Jan down and really – use a top heavy game just to kind of hold him down and outpoint him so not his most spectacular uh victory but it does i think kind of reestablish him and and as much uh maybe as much as things are not exactly clear in terms of the matchmaking for the heavyweights at least until we get past this weekend and see what shakes out uh uh with the uh the main and the co-main uh saturday night on pay-per-view I think what makes all the sense in the world is to take number two Alexander Gustafsson and pit him against number four Ryan Bader because both of these guys needed a victory to kind of uh, you know hit the restart button, which they did. But I think there are still some questions, certainly for Gustafsson, because uh, you know he, he, it was a win it was a dominant win but it wasn't the most exciting thing and in Bader's case it was a spectacular finish but Latifi was mm-hmm. testing him prior to that so uh, kind of makes a lot of sense now that those two guys could possibly no, I agree face with you. each and other I, I still think Gustafsson's a threat to go ahead and win the title oh yeah um, you know you've seen I mean he really has all the aspects of a game that's there just that you know he's fought you know he fights at that level at the very top you're gonna get you know dinged up and uh, and get losses on the record uh, but he, even within his losses uh, you know when he lost to uh, Daniel or John Jones he's out there striking and shows the hands and the, and the footwork and the movement that he is one of uh, very top high level striker we've seen his submissions you know also too uh where you know he pulls them off uh, great you know uh, chokes and then you know uh, the guy took down daniel cormier in their fight when he vied for the uh the, the light heavyweight championship that was a very competitive fight. very competitive fight he was in there you know and you know obviously daniel cormier is one of the best in the world and just you know really the only guy that can say that they're better than daniel at 205 is john and uh you know but even within that, you see that Gustafsson's wrestling is good. You know, his wrestling is so good. He's so well-rounded that he's taking down arguably one of the better wrestlers in the division. Yeah, it uh, it it looks like, uh, you know, the, the questions were at least answered about Gustafsson in terms of uh, does he does he still have the, the stomach for the fight? You know, because there was a lot of questions about it. Losing his, sucks. Yeah, and, and there was just a lot of questions. You know, I guess there's different levels of losing, and you think about, you know, maybe one upside of being, let's say, a journeyman fighter is you never have to worry about falling out of that elite top tier and do you have the stomach to to be down a level, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. You know, where, where hey, you, 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 you're still going to be better than 99.9% of the people in your division walking the planet, but if you're losing to the top three guys and all of a sudden maybe one more loss puts you uh, kind of uh, at a distance from a, a title shot. Well, I think, too, the, the common uh, um, idea or uh, concept of a journeyman fighter, and we get that from boxing, 
And that's because in boxing, you'll have a guy who doesn't have a manager that protects him, that he's no longer really being groomed to have that padded record to go ahead and fight for the championship where he has matches picked for him. So in boxing, you have that guy that fights anybody uh, because he's no longer being groomed for that title shot. Um, I think in in a sense, we don't really have journeyman fighters in MMA and we have everybody's a journeyman fighter in Mm. in certain aspects where you think about it. No one really in the UFC or any other organizations, Bellator or, you know, over across the pond, the ACB, you know, European League and, you know, Ryzen or World Series of Fighting, you, you name it. No one's really groomed. You don't really have a guy who's protected where you sit That's there and go, true. we're going to protect this guy. We really want him to be our champ. And the promoters are going to pit him against guys that you'd never heard of. You know, in boxing, I, I'll, now I, you know, I'll go on YouTube and I'll pick up old fights and I'll see somebody go in there and I'll watch a, you know, a Shannon uh, 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 Briggs facing somebody. I'm like, Wow, really? That's, you know, Shannon Briggs was just one fight away from the title and or just one fight off of winning the title. And who's that guy he's fighting? He fights four or five guys in a row or, you know, that happens a lot. You see guy Mike Tyson's record leading up to, you know, in in 88, you know, in 86 and 87. There was many guys he fought that you had no clue they were. Not that Mike Tyson wasn't a phenomenal boxer, especially during that era, but he was protected. And we don't do that in MMA. You don't really have those protected. You don't have guys... It does sometimes happen on a different level. And, and, and where it happens in MMA, when guys fight in smaller shows and they're a talent where they're just annihilating all the guys in their local region and they're, you know, 15 and 0, and now they're going to step up. But when they step up in the organization, they're not done any favors. As soon as they jump into the UFC, they're giving top quality guys. And, or if they jump into Bellator, World Series of Fighting, or whatever the case may be, um, we don't have that, you know. And so that's why you see, you don't really see guys. And uh, with undefeated records, and when you do see a guy like a John Jones who really in my and is undefeated, I know he has the one uh, disqualification loss with Mark, Matt Hamill. But I was there watching the fight. <laughs> there was not that fight wasn't even close. He just made a mistake with the mm-hmm. downward elbow, and up until the the fight ended, he was destroying Matt. Uh, you have you know uh, you know who's undefeated. Even the greatest you know you look at you know Dominic Cruz. He has a blemish on his record, but it's to Uriah Faber his fifth or sixth fight in. Uh, DJ, you know, uh, until they had developed the, the flyweight class, he has a lost uh, uh, Dominic Cruz. Yeah. And so you go through there, and, and everybody is so good, it's really hard to string together an undefeated record. I guess maybe what you have, if not journeyman, and maybe this is paraphrasing a bit, but I think you, you do occasionally have the gatekeeper in the UFC. Yeah, that I think. So we give you, like, uh, I think Chris Lieben became that at one point. Um, Clay Guida might be another example. Guys who are who are tough to fight. I mean, guys who are not a guaranteed win by any stretch of the imagination, but guys who will be far enough away from a title shot at a point in their career where they're going to be the kind of guy that somebody that you think is probably deserving of a title shot in his next couple of fights. Well, before we – or at least worthy of, of – let's say like top 10 consideration, something like that. They're the kind of guys that are standing in your way sometimes where they're sitting at like number 12 or something mm-hmm. like that. And you're unranked and they're in between you and a ranking. Yeah, but you then our gatekeepers that. in MMA sometimes turn into, uh, you know, um, possibly title challengers. They can, uh, you know, I think for a little while there, they were talking about Roy Nelson was kind of a, you know, mm-hmm. the gatekeeper. And then, yeah. And then he put a string together of knockouts and was looking like maybe he was one fight away from maybe fighting for the title. And now at, at 35, uh, Brian Caraway. 
I think yeah. for a little while there, people have kind of thought of him as kind of a gatekeeper. You know, there's a lot of, you know, uh, negative people out there in the world that, you know, the guy's a really accomplished grappler and, and very good mixed martial artist. You know, his record, you know, stands for itself. You know, he's, you know, he's, he's gone out there and his last win over the, uh, up, up and coming, uh, hugely touted talent, um, uh, Kid, oh, you're talking about uh, Caraway, Aljamain Sterling. Aljamain Sterling. Yeah. And now, you know, here you have the guy that might have been considered a gatekeeper. Yeah. And now Caraway, I'm like, wow, this guy really, you know, gets aggressive with his marketing and wants to push for a title fight. You know, he's kind of knocking on no, the door. You're right. It's easier to work your way out of that stigma in the UFC than yes. other places and and other yeah. sports like well, boxing. like I, I said, think that's... boxing they have that protective uh, nature, yeah. you know, for good or for bad, you know, where guys get more opportunities to have some easy fights and really get on, the, you know, their own rhythm. And and if they have a bad fight, they're given, you know, a lot of times when a guy comes off a loss, he's given a lot of easy fights, and that's why you don't really see back to back losses in boxing. Well, I think that's also the reality of competing promoters. Which you have in boxing, yes. and you don't have in him. I mean, in the, U- the UFC is the promoter. Everybody's got the same promoter, so there is no. Agenda. Oh yeah, if you have your contract with, that's your promoter. So if you're right. a World Series of Fighting or Bellator, exactly. And 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 in boxing, it's more like a Bellator fighter is fighting a UFC fighter, right. and so yeah. you've got competing. Yeah, you have different stables. You yeah, have, you know, top rank versus the you know. Right, uh, and they're the yes. ones who are trying to uh, to protect. Uh, those opponents uh let's check in with a little uh facebook feedback here frank because uh we have some listeners who uh are reaching out via the phone booth fighting facebook page with some comments thoughts and observations this one from anthony lazzarini who by the way is a uh, brown belt up at charles gracie academy in reno where i got my blue belt where i used to train i actually didn't know anthony when i was up there but he told me that uh he trains there uh, ross miller when he's up there uh, yeah he does yep yep sure does uh anthony says um i want to start with saying i'm a huge fan of the podcast it wasn't until last podcast that i put uh, the voice to the face i'm a brown belt under gary great he's talking talking about me and uh training up there uh he's talking about our last episode frank where we talked about uh dan swift the uh the disgraced yes. uh jiu-jitsu black belt who has been busted for dog fighting uh, if you didn't listen to our last episode episode 61 uh, take a second, well, a little longer than a second, yeah. but uh, go back and listen to what Frank and I had to say about uh, this guy and uh, an all-around uh, despicable human being. Uh, Anthony continues in his Facebook message, Frank. He says, um, unfortunately, I can't take in another dog, but if there's anything I can do to help with the dogs that were rescued from Pennsylvania, please let me know. For the record, fuck that guy. He clearly has little man syndrome, and uh, anyway, I won't read the actually last part. It's probably better not to say on the air. Anyway, uh, <laughs> let's just say he's real upset with this guy. Uh, anyway, keep up, show. yeah, keep up the good work. Thank you, Anthony. Yeah. So our last episode uh, where we talked about this story, this guy uh, Dan Swift. Uh, and won't rehash the whole thing. Just go back and listen to the the last episode. But when I when I got here today to Frank's house, Frank was asking me, uh, you know how the feedback had been, and I tell you what, man, I made a lot of people angry. 
a lot of people angry. As angry as we were, uh, I could feel the anger. But I don't feel so bad for how we got. No. Afterwards, I kind of thought about it late in bed. Afterwards, I'm like, oh, we might have got a little well, carried away. No, you know, it. Maybe I mean, we should have calmed down a little bit more and done the show the next day. <laughs> yeah, we we went on for a while, but um, apparently those sentiments were echoed by our phone booth fighting listeners to to a person. Everyone that I heard from, and um, anyway, it's a it's a rough subject, but it's very important that we. Uh, shine a bright spotlight on that, especially as this uh, story moves forward. And hopefully we see some uh, justice dealt to Dan Swift up there in Erie, Pennsylvania. So we'll keep an eye on that story. Uh, Next one, Frank, this one is from Big Tony. Big Tony says, what's up, guys? I'm 50 years old. Uh, I joined the military at 30, and I love MMA, and I still listen to heavy metal. (laughs) Very big fan of the podcast. I especially like listening to Frank's views on his distaste for street thugs. Listening to your podcast feels like I'm hanging out with two of my buddies. I just haven't met yet. Keep doing what you do. Awesome. Thank you, gents. Yeah, it's a great compliment yeah, to get. thank you very much. That actually, thank you, Tony. That That is, I think, one of the nicest compliments to get from somebody that listens to a program when they tell you that uh, they feel like they've met you even though they haven't. You know, because yes. I, when I think about shows, I mean, radio shows and then and then now, you know, modern day podcasts that I really connect with as a listener, that probably is the number one characteristic of it. Feeling like, you know, guys uh, and, and girls when you actually haven't even met them yet. And that tells us that we're doing a good job of opening ourselves up to you. In fact, uh, shout out to a couple of uh, listeners, phone booth fighting listeners that came to uh, my last couple of comedy gigs uh, at the Stratosphere here in Las Vegas, Joe and Travis uh, came out. Listeners of ours brought their girlfriends out. And uh, I remember Joe came up after the show, and he was like, he knew, I was like, I was going to introduce him to my girlfriend. He's like, oh, the vegan cook that runs the marathons. You know, he, cool. he knows the whole story. So uh, it just, it's a good feeling. And uh, it's very validating, and we appreciate it that you guys make that kind of connection with us. Here's one from Gavin Gomez, Frank. He says, have you thought about making phone booth fighting rash guards? That's an excellent merchandising idea right there. Yeah, actually, I hadn't. That's actually a good idea. We got some T-shirts up right now, of course, at phoneboothfightingshop.com. But we, uh, I'll tell you what, we'll look into that. For those of you who train uh, or maybe who want to start training, maybe uh, purchasing a rash guard could be your first step. Well, I got this phone booth fighting rash guard now. I may as well start training jujitsu, right? We we'll have to make it to where it's distracting too, so it's a, it's a tactical advantage. While you're rolling, the guy oh, looks over. Yeah. And- a psychological advantage. I like that. Okay, we'll we'll uh, get with our uh, artiste and uh, see see what we can come up with. That's a great idea, Gavin. All right, let's uh, get one more here on our uh, phone booth fighting Facebook page, Frank, from uh, John Deasy. John says, Frank and Richard, this last podcast is a prime example of why you guys are number one in my podcast rotation. When you guys were talking about Brazilian jiu-jitsu, I could really relate. I'm 46 now, but started jiu-jitsu at 45. And you guys are so spot on on your comments about black belts. Thanks again for all the time and effort you guys put into this podcast. One of the best out there. Thank you, John. 
And you know what? I like hearing from guys like that because that's, I mean, absolutely, that's more or less me. We're we're roughly the same, just about the same age. Uh, you know, I've been training jujitsu for a couple of years. I got to it much later than I wished I had, and and I just personally like it that when I hear about guys who are, uh, you know, maybe they're not in their twenties, you know, and they decide to start jujitsu, and uh, and then really, really, uh, really grab hold of it you know then then really stick to it and get something out of it so if we can um if if uh I, frank is used to being the uh, inspiration to the masses but if i can inspire <laughs> the old guys i'm down well, with that and i like that because it shows uh it opens that door and that's a conversation i have probably more often than any other conversation when i speak to somebody about jujitsu martial arts mma mixed martial arts whatever the case may be uh, you know you'll get a guy who's really not not capable of training or going to the gym but i think they get intimidated or they have some kind of notion in their mind that they're like well i'm not going to give up my job and go to the gym and train and go do fights i'm like you think that's what you have to do to train yeah no that's that's a small percentage of individuals that decide to become professionals and and push themselves and test and make those kind of sacrifices um you know, not at all. Uh, this isn't gymnastics, you know, where it's like, well, you're either going to go and compete at a high level or why, you know, try it all. You know, you get a lot of gymnasts. I know that, you know, their careers end at 22 and, you know, they're training, you know, 12 hours a day and they're eight years old. And um, that's not how ours is a way of life that I think goes on. And, and you can be in your 50s, 60s, 70s. And and long as you're healthy and able to, if you're healthy enough to get out of bed and walk to the bathroom, you're healthy enough to, to train at some level. Uh, you don't have have to go out there and compete and you can compete competing is fun and there's all different levels of competition you know there could be just training in the gym and doing inner school competitions there can be going all the way to doing amateur fights to maybe maybe a professional fight or you know competing in some of the professional submission grappling tournaments and whatever the case may be there's something where you can become a better person improve yourself and be happy about who you are through training and through martial arts and through jujitsu and i i think that speaks volumes uh I th- I don't see why we're any different than you see the guys that go train Tai Chi. Yeah. You know, well, you're not doing it to go fight people. Um, but at the same time, if you're going to get sweaty and, and, and move around and jump, it's kind of nice to have a skill set that's applicable to, well, if, if, you know, you know, if there was a situation occurred where I was trying to take groceries to my car and somebody jumped on top of me and, um, we're having a bad day. I can go ahead and make sure they're the one that ends up having the bad day. Uh, and so uh, I like that. And I, I hope that, you know, a lot of people see that you're a great example of that. Somebody that relatively healthy, you know, you don't have any injuries, you know, uh, uh, that are uh, detrimental that enable you to, you can't go out there and do stuff. And, uh, you know, it's enjoyable. It's fun. It's camaraderie. It's, it's a great skill set. It's, it's a whole lifestyle. You know, the best way I can describe it, if I was just going to kind of sum it up in a sentence or two in terms of what you can get out of it just on the most rudimentary level, if you're an older uh, guy or girl, let's say older, but, you know, like I said, not not in your 20s, not right out of uh, high school or in college or whatever, is for me, Frank, you have roughly 100 pounds on me. You're a much bigger guy than I am. You have a 10-year youth advantage. Someone your side. Here's what I. Here's what I get out of uh, jujitsu, if if nothing else. Someone your size, I have no qualms about rolling with, 
And that would not be the case on day one. I mean, the instinct is exactly the opposite. Imagine walking in, you've got no training, and somebody goes, okay, see that giant guy over there? Okay, get, <laughs> run toward him, get a hold of him, pull him to you. Don't, you know, your, your instinct is to keep a distance, right? Your instinct is arm's length, run, escape, not neutralize size advantage. But what jujitsu's taught me is just because someone had, I'm going to talk about your training, but just someone who has your size, okay, not a problem. And I'll do that all day long. It's a factor, but it's not the defining. Yeah. uh, It's not the end all. Yeah. And and, and, and furthermore, once you get a little experience under your belt, I'll tell you what, it feels real good to be the average size guy who rolls with the heavyweight who's just getting started and you get the better of them you know i mean you're you're actually helping them learn things and where that matters is not i'm not saying for ego but it does factor into confidence because what that means is when you are in the the you know the the grocery store the you know wherever the the grocery store i don't know what kind of rough areas of town we're going grocery shopping in but you get the idea you have to earn those groceries you know maybe a a dark parking lot or something you know the the kind of thing where you could run into a a a security situation you will not it won't just be an automatic uh deal breaker confidence deal breaker i should say if somebody you're having to deal with is a bigger person than you that's the point i'm trying to make I think that's actually yeah. more or less when my jujitsu skills and, or you know, my MMA skills, submission abilities have come to more of assistance. Is uh, you know, we talk about you know getting into fights or getting jumped, and you know, that I think happens far and few between. You know, uh, it does occur, obviously, uh, and our society does have that aspect to it. But uh, how often are you at a party when you have somebody that's just not acting right and they're just they're yeah. kind of just the killjoy of the group and they're kind of killing the mood and they don't know how to have a good time and. Uh, you know, a little bit of training under your belt and you're able to go ahead and kind of be the hero of the party. You can neutralize the situation and uh, go ahead and, uh, you know, uh, remove that bad influence in a very uh, uh, effective way that doesn't necessarily require a weapon. So you don't have to worry about police showing up. And, you know, uh, you know, I've had my share of, uh, you know, uh, humbling guys and group to get togethers. And now that I've gotten older, it doesn't seem to happen quite as often. But, uh, you know, I've been at those parties where to get together at a house and somebody just, like I said, doesn't know how to have a good time. And, you know, they're, they think they're looking to go ahead and try to punk people. And then you show them the error of their ways. And now they can go ahead and leave with their tail between their legs. Or uh, most of the time I have them end up turning into your best friend, you know, like, Hey, you know, uh, how do you do that? Yeah. You <laughs> and know, then they end up having a good time and everybody can go back to doing what they should be doing at a party, which is relaxing and socializing and, you know, anything else that you might want to be trying to do. Okay. I think we just thought up a, uh, a theme for a Frank Mir instructional DVD. We'll call it Frank Mir's Jiu-Jitsu Party. Right. All right. So the setting is it's a, it's a party setting. And it's just dealing with different type. We'll, we'll have a large, it'll be like an ensemble cast. We'll have a lot of extras. There'll be a big party going on. And then you can just show jujitsu techniques within party scenarios. 
that works. Okay. Different size guys, how much you've had to drink, right. how much they've had to drink. <laughs> right, exactly. Uh, 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 applying the omoplata without spilling the contents right. of your red Solo cup, that sort of thing. Yeah, Avoiding right. knocking over the beer bong table. That's right. Well, speaking of uh, drinking, I got to. Uh, I mentioned a second ago, giving a shout out to the couple of our phone booth fighting listeners that uh, came out to my comedy gigs. But uh, while you were off uh, doing uh, seminars in uh, Oklahoma this weekend, I was gigging at uh, the Stratosphere here in Vegas at the LA Comedy Club. I had a great show last night. It was just it was a great set and it was a great show. I worked with a couple of uh, really talented comedians I have not worked with before the feature. Was a very funny lady that lives here in Las Vegas named Lisa Landry, and uh, I got to work with her. And then the headliner was a guy named Paul Ogata, who was hilarious. That that I had I'd heard his name, but I'd never seen his set before. And it was just one of those nights where it was uh, everybody was just clicking. And and Sunday nights are not always the best night for comedy. Labor Day weekend, that too. I, I hated working. Yeah, Labor Day weekend at the club. Man, it's it's a great club anyway, LA Comedy Club, and. Uh, uh, Matt and Joaquin that run it over there do a great job, but it just it was just a good night all the way around. It was a good night. Met some great people out there, and uh, if you're going to be in Vegas, pretty much any time over the next month or so, I will be there on Sunday nights. The only Sunday night I won't be is this coming Sunday night because Frank and I, as you heard earlier, will be in L.A. for Eddie Bravo's tournament. But uh, I think the next four Sundays after that. I'll be at L.A. Comedy Club doing my stand-up. So uh, different headliners every night, uh, every one of those Sundays, but uh, I'll be on the on the bill. So if you would like to be on my guest list, uh, you're more than welcome. If you're within the sound of our voices, you have a spot on that guest list. All you have to do is hit me up on social media. Let me know how you plus how many are coming to the show, and I got you on my guest list for uh, any Sunday night over the next month or so at the L.A. Comedy Club inside the Stratosphere right here on the Las Vegas Strip. You got uh, any more uh, the wheels been turning, Frank? You thinking about uh, you, you jotting down any notes? I have. Working into your through. routine? Okay. Um, still also, too, just refining the things that we've already said Good. and done. Um, going through and trying to, you know, uh, different mannerisms and Tighten approaches. Them up. Yeah, yeah, obviously you yep. have a set. You try to make it tighter. It's a, a kind of the equivalent of uh, anybody who has a, f- a traditional martial arts background knows you know katas and forms. Mm-hmm. And so I have my kata down, and before I start just venturing off and learning the next one, I want to make sure I have this one really under my belt. See, I, I'm I'm going to be interested to see. Uh, I, I, the, I like the fact that you're now going to see, now that you've uh, started dipping your toe into the stand-up comedy pool, you're going to see me do things. So, for example, uh, the night that, uh, that, that you and I did our, our live uh, phone booth fighting taping at, uh, at L.A. Comedy Club, and you did your stand-up debut, you saw me debut a joke that night. Yes. Now, now you're going to see me continue to do that joke, but refine it and work it. If you'd heard me do it last night, it would have been different than the night that you saw it slightly, but a little different. And now you're going to see the evolution. You're going to see how this material tightens and you're going to have material like that too, where it's like you started out in one place with it, but the more you did it, the tighter it got Mm -hmm. doing it this way instead of that way. And I haven't even told you this yet. 
Uh, I went out uh, Saturday night and saw Jerry Rocha, uh, who I introduced yeah. you to, uh, open for Gilbert Godfrey the night before over at the M Resort here in uh, Henderson, Nevada. Yeah, and, I was jealous. I wanted after talking to him on the uh, yeah the, the, our podcast. I was man, uh, I had to be out there. I was wondering if there was some way I could have got home soon enough to to be able to go out there. It was a great show, uh, him and Gilbert Godfrey. But I talked to Jerry after the show. He's going to be in L.A. when you and I are there this Sunday night, and so I think he's going to work it out to where there might be a uh, club we can go drop oh, in and awesome. do a set at. And this is going to be interesting. So now I'll have two veteran comedians opening for now. <laughs> that's right. That's right. In your corner. You're yes. Gonna have like the, I like You're going to have like the, the Greg Jackson and Mike Winklejohn of corner men you here for your stand-up comedy career. But uh, no, it's uh, this, this is going to be an interesting one because now we need to get you in front of a crowd that doesn't already know you're going to be there. Right. So a little I'm saying there they won't necessarily be a hostile crowd, but everybody may not already know who you are. They're not already there specifically to see your podcast tapings. They're a fan of the podcast or whatever. Ah, That's actually an ideal situation. If I can win that group or compete under those circumstances, that's what uh, what more could I ask of myself? You know, uh, I really, you know felt that you know that's i had many advantages going into this last one because of the fact being that um fans of the podcast uh, you know a lot of the people there knew who i was and, yeah. and so uh i definitely had a a lot of momentum going my direction and so it'd be interesting now to go ahead and just be somewhere and jump up there with, with a group of people that they're you know who the hell is this guy you know? people uh uh people are also have been asking how they're going to be if and and if so how they were going to be able to hear your stand-up comedy debut We'll have some news on that in the next week or so because we do have a way we're going to make that available to everybody and not just audio. We're going to, we actually got a, a, a pretty good quality video shoot of it. So we've got a way we're going to make that available and we'll, uh, we'll uh, explain that over the next uh, couple of weeks for you guys. All right. So how about this, Frank? Um, I pitched this uh, topic to you and I guess it sounded like we had some competing points of view on it. So, this is probably a good thing for us to get into. Colin Kaepernick. Now, this guy, okay, so so I'm dumb football guy. I don't know anything about football. So uh, correct me if I'm wrong here, and then we'll talk about the controversy that he's okay. created. Colin Kaepernick is a quarterback, and he is a quarterback for the San Francisco 49ers, mm-hmm. and he played college football at – the University of Northern Nevada, uh, University of Nevada at Reno, right? Mm-hmm. UNR, okay. And he got a big contract. I think he was kind of he was going to be a, a a pretty big deal player, and I think he did well. He sort of the Super Bowl, I think only his third season. Okay, and and ends up losing to Baltimore. Okay, right. So this is not just a a journeyman, if you will. No. This is a high profile NFL player man right he did lose a starting position last season okay okay but still making a lot of money still a big name in the league so he's making waves because uh i guess as of what week before last he refused to stand up during the national anthem when all the players are standing along the sideline the national anthem is being played and i guess now he's kneeling down on one knee while the anthem is being played and everybody else is standing up. And he says that he is 
protesting conditions for certain people uh, in in our society. And um, I, d- I don't know how to quote him much other than that, but he's basically saying that uh, until um, until things improve for not just some of us, but all of us. Uh, this is not a cause he feels wor- he feels uh, is is worthy of him standing at attention for. Hopefully, I'm not putting words in his mouth, but that's the gist of what I got from this uh, protest. I asked you uh, today what you thought about this, and you said I was not happy with his uh, approach to the situation. I didn't agree with it. Um, I also think that there's issues in our country on all levels that we can obviously improve upon. You can be very proud to be a U.S. citizen. I am very proud to be an American. It doesn't mean I have to be happy with everything that my country does uh, domestically or abroad. Um, but I think that it's, when it comes to push comes to shove, um, you respect the flag. You respect the veterans and the, our military that goes out there and whether or not you agree with why they were sent somewhere to do something, um, they didn't make that decision either. <laughs> they're uh, following orders and they're out there, uh, you know, putting themselves in harm's way for, uh, so the rest of us can enjoy the benefits of our living in this great, uh, you know, country that we live in. Um, the fact that he takes a knee, I think, is disrespectful to the veterans and, and people that have put their life on the line because that's the our national anthem is a song um, that I think embodies uh, America in combat and, and in our ability to uh, uh, persevere and overcome. You know, the Star Swingle Banner, you know, the. Um, um, was written in 1812 they're talking about you know the battle that you know uh, that you know after england you know the fort mchenry you know the flag was still there because of our perseverance and what that represents and so the fact that he chooses to silently protest his ideas by taking a knee i think is disrespectful to that do i think that you have freedom of speech and you have the ability to go ahead and uh, and do things then absolutely the guy is famous uh he has a lot of money i think that if he really wants to make a a make a cause in our society and better society. I think that he has the means to do so that a lot of individuals don't have. I think he's going about it the wrong way. And I've almost kind of like, in one sense, you're not proud to be an American. You're not going to stand up where our flag is being raised, but you'll go ahead and cash your check and play here and take money from other Americans that are buying tickets to come watch you play. Um, You don't seem to be that upset. Uh, I would have more respect for him if, for example, he sat there and goes, well, I'm not going to play. I'm not going to go out there on the field, which is going to cost me money. But, you know, I don't care. Uh, this is a belief in a, that I feel strongly for. Interesting. That would actually move me a little bit more. I'd be like, wow, this guy's actually going to put his mouth, you know, money where his mouth is. He's going to go ahead and he's going to lose money. He feels so strongly about this. But instead, he takes a knee, and I think it's an opportunity to go ahead and be in the headlines. And a guy who's his career, he's lost his starting position, and now all of a sudden he's, uh, you know, at the forefront of people's conversations. Like tonight, we're talking about him on the podcast. Um, you know, again, it's like the guy who, you know, drives around in a Prius, but you, you know, you eat a hamburger and you leave your lights on at the house. I'm like, okay, wait a minute. Are you really making a statement to help out society? That's not me, by the or way. Or are you just going upon an image because it's going to get you in the newspapers? I drive a Prius. I don't eat hamburgers and I turn right, the lights you, off when I leave the room. You live that life. And so, <laughs> uh, you know, his statement, I think, is just kind of half-hearted. I don't really yeah. agree with it. And I think that the people that he's insulting don't deserve to be insulted by him. And, um, 
Um, you know, and I think that if anything in the U.S., the issues that he's addressing come from the fact that we're uh, there is a, a separation uh, of us as Americans that people feel that there's on different levels, and and I do see that there are different levels of Americans that are maybe left out, um, but. Don't you think standing up together while we all, you know, the national anthem is a one step closer to unity? You know, that in itself represents that we all as Americans get together. And I know that we only might be getting together at that one moment. But to me, it's the equivalent of Christmas holiday. Um, I'm an atheist. (laughs) I don't necessarily. Hey, me too. Right. So, but I still like the idea of holidays. My family, we celebrate Christmas. I don't know Santa has anything to do more with Jesus than, you know, uh, the, the next guy with Santa Claus, the concept of family getting together. We all come from out of town. And I hope that that idea of that holiday spreads out into the rest of the year and that we actually try to be closer, not just during the holiday season, mm. but I use that as a representation to try to see this is what we're trying to aspire to. And so to me, the national anthem at that moment when you sit there and you see the flag is a moment of all of us together in unity. And hopefully we can be and stand together more than just at the opportunities that someone's singing the national anthem and raising the flag that we do so in all aspects of our life. But at least at that moment, we're symbolizing that we're doing it there. And so for him to show that division at that moment and take a knee, it's insulting to the police officers that are good officers that are, you know, protecting him at that moment and other people that are there in attendance and uh, insulting people that are overseas right now, men that are dying, you know, and, you know, regardless if you agree or disagree with our foreign policies, those soldiers on the front line that are on the boots are on the ground. They didn't make those decisions and you're insulting those guys. And those are people that I just, I guess I don't want to feel like I insulted. If I feel like I insult an entertainer and that's what he is as an entertainer. Um, I guess I can sleep well with that, but uh, insulting our armed forces and the men and women of our, uh, of this country, I don't want to ever insult. I agree with you that I think there would be a more effective way to make a bigger statement. Before I get into that, I'll just say as a blanket positioning statement that I I really don't think as a matter of principle we can take action against uh, or expect action to be taken or someone to be uh, prosecuted or persecuted for either A, not standing for the national anthem or B, burning a flag right no for example there's not going to be any kind of do i think the uh 49ers should cut them no it's his freedom of speech to go ahead and choose what he you know as an american citizen he's those same people that he's insulting by not standing during the the uh, uh national anthem um have given him that ability to go ahead and take that knee so it's a right that as a u.s citizen that he has that uh, that he has I just, um, but I, guess what? He's not free from backlash. So if right. the rest of us to go ahead and dislike him and maybe go ahead and not go watch his games and not uh, buy his jersey, um, you know, at the same time, hey, you have freedom of speech, but uh, you're not free from uh, uh, the, uh, the the rest of us having our freedom of speech at the same time. Yeah. I So I think that what we should be careful about as a society is falling into the trap of ever appearing to the rest of the world like we're ganging up on one of our own because they didn't uh, conform. 
Now, what I mean is, yes, we are free to have whatever opinion about them individually we want to, but I think it is actually quite important that we show the rest of the world that when one of our own sits during the national anthem or burns a flag, they just do it. That's just it. I mean, we can, we can, uh, we I'm can. Glad he doesn't burn a flag because I have a very, uh, and I don't know if I can even put it into words. Um, that gives me a very strong response, and I don't know if I would be uh, a calm and cool, collective person if I was walking down the street. Uh, people are, have the freedom to say what they want to say, but if I seen you burn a flag, we're probably going to get very physical. But here's the problem with that: is that if you think about, let, let's just think about how the still photo of that looks, all right? An American citizen burning an American flag and people around them, maybe with frowns on their faces, you know, maybe with very disapproving looks on their faces, mm-hmm. that's scenario A. Or scenario B, one of our own burning a flag and a mob beating them with clubs and sticks which looks more like freedom can we just have the one guy that walks up and just chokes him out <laughs> <laughs> you see my point though you see i mean i, I see I, what you're saying yeah and and listen but again because i mean your country where you live uh, mm-hmm. uh i don't know uh, uh i think of a lot of other countries have a, a very much of a nationalistic and love for their country i mean i go into other places to go fight and compete and you know i mean look how brazil is uh you know, uh, and I don't know if I really upset about how they feel like they're proud to be Brazilian. Well, I'm proud to, to be a U.S. citizen, to be an American. Oh, no, I think all that's fine. I think it's just when when tested, when really asked the question, all right, what what does freedom really mean to you? Because to me, if you can't look around you and immediately hear or see something that you disagree with, you're not really living in freedom. That's, that's how true. I feel like when I, I see, you I know, have the, the right to not be offended. Right. I understand that. And, and that's, that's how I would feel like, like I would prefer to not uh, uh, see the Ku Klux Klan somewhere. But I know that if they are just forcibly eradicated from my society, that I've actually diminished the, the level of freedom that I live in, mm-hmm. you know, so it's almost in a weird way. Yeah. It's actually seeing them as a reminder of the freedom of the free society that I live in. Now they're not but free to act violently. When we don't, I don't know. I, just, I guess I have to think about it more because, uh, for example, correct me if I'm wrong, but in Germany, it's a, a prosecutable offense to that's right, Nazi right? any kind of salutation Nazi stuff. Salute, yeah. Right. Um, yeah. uh, they made a stance that as a country we do not agree with this idealism, and um, if you even mockingly try to do this we're going to we stand together as a group that we do not stand for this that that well they, like, they are they do. not a free i mean i don't know they, well but but not not to that extent now yeah. i'll tell you where i think we have a, a a similar conundrum on our hands is with the confederate flag because that is an example i don't i don't care how much a southerner wants to romanticize the civil war you it is illegal to secede you cannot do that that is actually one of the more unpatriotic things you could do oh, weakens the country which is sure which is to attempt to secede from it uh so but in in you know the the time that the hundreds of years that have passed to many that has become like a romanticized notion and now we're just now the getting rebel. around to arguing whether or not a confederate flag should fly over state capitals and whether civil war monument should should stay 
erected. Well, there's a lot of things we're going to have to go through our culture and look at and realize that some of the representations, you know, as a society, we're moving forward and, um, you know, freedom of speech in one sense. But then, you know, I know people having a problem with the fact that the Washington Redskins, the Redskin uh, terminology and symbolism insults a whole class of, uh, you know, there's a whole a race of people that are very insulted by that. And uh, uh, do we now fix that? You know, and even now with the, the Kaepernick uh, situation that arose, I went back and, you know, you know, and got on the internet and started looking at the national anthem and, you know, realized that for the most part, we just uh, sing one verse, the first verse of it. Uh, there's four, uh, four. And, the, you know, and I was looking at some of the, the, the wording in the third one. And, there's some racism in that, you know, um, they're, you know, talking about, you know, slaves, you know, that stand up and, and rebel against dying. I'm, I was looking at it and go, wow, that's kind of rough, but it was written in 1812 and our, our country does have that history. And, you know, there's that acknowledgement of it. And I think understanding that, yes, that's where we are. Then, you know, we make adjustments and move forward to try to as a better of a society. I don't think that's squandering. I don't think that yeah. diminishes free speech. I think it's just kind of going forward and saying, Hey, this is some hurtful, terminology or or ideas or symbols that we might have and you know we're going to move forward no matter how much you might think that don't bother you that bothers this group and we're all americans and we're trying to uh you know live more cohesively together i'm more concerned i'm less concerned about colin kaepernick kneeling during the national anthem and i'm more concerned with how he backs up that decision and i haven't had that conversation with him but uh, you know i think that's what i'm kind of alluding to then because i'm saying hey what are you really doing besides just taking a knee during you know yeah i agree so so and 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 i'll give you another one uh i it's not so much that i i begrudge tom brady's right to support donald trump for president but i want to hear him make a compelling argument for it and i don't think he has one (laughs) <laughs> so, uh, you know, I'm, I'm much more about why you think what you think and, and less about your, your right to think that or just the, the at face value, whatever your opinion is. We did that to a lot is. of people, though. I mean, uh, vice versa. There's some people that can agree with your thoughts on Hillary or, or you know, Bernie. Mm-hmm. And um, if I ask them to articulate it and give you why they might have a hard time articulating putting in words any more than Tom Brady articulating why he uh you know adheres to uh Donald Trump becoming the next Yeah. One. And see that's a problem for me. I mean go back to like the Dixie Chicks controversy when uh they they got on the wrong side of the right because uh they said they were, you know, ashamed that George Bush was from their home state of Texas. Well, I it, it to me that has nothing to do with the fact that oh those are just musicians or oh that's just an athlete. They need to stick to what they know. No, if you want to get into that realm then well, they're a US all right. Citizen. Sure. And that's their right, but let's hear what you have to say beyond that. Mm-hmm. And I will listen and then I will uh judge accordingly. I, for example, remember, um, you know, the, the, the flip side of the Dixie Chicks argument way back when was that of Charlie Daniels. You know, the devil went down to Georgia guy. Uh, that was a guy who had a very strong uh, pro-right, pro-war stance and not the first clue of how to back that up. And to me, that's what's worthy of criticism. It's not whether or not you are... Uh, taking a stand but it's what's really behind that stand now let me go back for a second to your point about 
doing something that is more impactful than sitting during the national anthem. You brought up the idea of saying, hey, I'm not going to play, right? Now, that's interesting because in this league, let's assume, Frank, that Colin Kaepernick's position, that, 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 that the, the real message behind this position is that uh, uh, it maybe has something to do with racial inequity, in, in society. Let's say it has something to do with, you know, some of the Black Lives Matter causes, maybe, you know, uh, uh, police overreach, police brutality, questionable deaths, things like this. And again, I don't mean to put words in Colin Kaepernick's mouth, but let's just assume for a second that's the direction that this protest is taking. Okay, I think those are all worthy things to talk about. But if the concern is crime, and if the concern is violence, in the NFL, there are actual pieces of shit that play in this thing. Yeah. There are actual horrible excuses for human beings who have, crea- who have committed heinous, violent acts. So, rather than take a seat for the national anthem, how about we turn the focus in-house? I would have a lot more respect for Colin Kaepernick if he starts looking around the league at domestic abusers yes. or dog fighters mm-hmm. or people who have been either accused of, tried for, or maybe presently doing time for murders mm-hmm. and saying maybe we need to raise the standard around here. Maybe this league of uh, self-entitled uh, elite athletes is a microcosm for part of the problem of society, of not holding our own accountable for their actions, and that is contributing to the climate that is out there on the street and contributing to a lot of what I, Colin Kaepernick, have a problem mm-hmm. uh, with. You well, know, because I'm, it's the epitome of a situation where when you are exceptional, you get uh, exception. Yeah. Right. If you're exceptional, it's a good way to phrase it. You're an exception. You're an exception to the rules. Yeah. And we see that a lot of times in our society. And I think people on that end have an issue with it. And there's a great example of you have a, a select, very elite group of athletes that are world class that are exceptional and a lot of times are given exemptions in our society from situations. I mean, look at the Ray Rice situation that occurred. Yeah. Uh, when it first found out that he had had a domestic abuse with his, uh, the, the mother of his child and he had hit her and um, they, they watched the videos, they saw them uh, uh, and um, felt that only a two or four game, I forgot the details. Uh, it was, yeah, it was two or four games. Right, it was a couple uh, of games. Right. right. But it wasn't because they didn't see the video. The NFL, they saw the video that we all saw. Right. But then when the video was leaked to the public and we all got to see Ray Rice, and, and look, I'm not an extremist either on the same note where I sit there and go, there is never, ever, ever a reason to hit a woman. I'm like, well, no, I don't think that a man should hit a woman. But at the same time, if a woman is straight beating your ass and you 
coming you know, at you with a knife. Right. Well, you know, you can't sit there and go, well, you know, she stabbed me, but there's never a reason. I'm like, okay, I don't know what you did, but now your girl pulls a blade out and she's trying to fillet you. Mm-hmm. You might have to be shove her. You might have to grab her by the wrist and throw her down, or you might even have to, you know, a little body shot, you know, to save your ass because she put herself in a situation that wasn't very ladylike. Mm-hmm. So you're not really hitting a lady at that situation. She put herself in the, in the, in the situation of a man and you have to protect yourself. I don't think that what you're uh, describing is a far cry from right. I'm in the elevator with my woman and she got a little lippy. Right. Well, and the reason I'm taking it this direction, and by the way, it was a two game suspension. Just look that up. And you, you know, knock your woman out cold and you get a two game suspension. Roger Goodell, the NFL commissioner, is the ultimate enabler with this stuff. He's the guy who has enabled people like Ray Rice. He's a guy who has enabled people like Michael Vick and declared himself a, and this is a direct quote from him, a big fan of the Michael Vick story. Uh, what he's a big fan of is guys who can play football at an elite level right. uh, for the empowerment well, of his bank the, account. The precedence of thought process right. continues on that exceptional athletes are given exceptions. Right. So if Colin Kaepernick's message were to be, you know what, I'm concerned about the rising level of violence in uh, our culture and in, uh, you know, especially with young people, whatever it is. But if if the follow-up thought is, and so I'm going to turn my attention in-house and start looking around and let's hold some – because this isn't just – these aren't just the – the Ray Rices uh, who who are outside the league because enough public pressure got turned on to the situation that he got booted out. And that's a, that, by the way, is the only reason he's out of the league instead of serving his little two-game suspension, which is what he got originally. Public you, outcry. You've still got people like Michael Vick in there. Uh, you, you've got uh, domestic abusers, you know, guys like uh, Greg Hardy. That no, plays the sexual the assault guy. What, what, uh, you talk about Roethlisberger? Roethlisberger's one. There was the other guy. He actually now has been released and prosecuted. Who was the one guy that they found in three, several different states had sexual assault yeah, on women? Yeah. And- I, I, I remember that story. It's the, the, the point is that there's enough of that going on in the culture of the NFL that if, if you're going to make a statement, that would be a, a great statement. And you know what? Tell people that's why you're sitting down for the national anthem. If you did that, I mean, it's not necessarily a direct correlation, but if I said, Frank, okay, I'm Colin Kaepernick, uh, I'm sitting down for the national anthem, well, why are you doing that? Well, because I'm trying to uh, generate attention, I'm trying to get people to notice me so they will listen to me when I say, and then point out that we're going to start looking Mm in-house in terms of sending a message to clean things up, whether or not you agree with the way he's going about it i don't think you could argue well, with his he would message. have an, a mission statement basically is what you're saying That's what's what your saying. mission statement right when someone does something i mean just broadly sitting there i almost feel like at this point you're the uh stereotypical beauty contest uh contestant that walks out there and goes I want world peace. You're like, hey, that's awesome. That sounds great. How are you, you going to get it? You want to be a little detailed? Do you want to break that down into a certain area? Do you want to talk about? Are we, yeah. you know, uh, are we going to go over there and in, uh, in, in the Gaza Strip? Or are, are you? Is it? Is this an Israeli, you know, Where's Palestinian the Gaza thing? Strip? I mean, what are we talking about here? Are we, we going to go and defer? You know, Northern Africa? Is that what you're talking about? I, I mean, went to a bachelor party on the Gaza Strip. It was so much fun. <laughs> oh my God, we all got matching bows. Uh, you know, are we talking about? You know. Uh, Whatever the case may be, a better representation of not, you know, our voter registration. 
administration lines not being manipulated by the powers that be that go ahead and try to uh, you know affect voter registration I mean what are you talking about you know what cause do you really have I mean just saying something as broad as racism it's like wow man I'm okay what part you know like, I'm willing to give him the benefit of the doubt I want to hear what he has to say but I just hope that there's something there because I, I am a believer that when you go out on a limb and the 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 thinner that limb the bigger your uh resolve and 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 your uh, substance has to be well, behind that statement. Because a lot of the eyes of the world are staring at right. him. Right. I want to hear what you what you got. And I'm thinking that he opens his mouth, we're all going to be a little disappointed. Yeah, uh, I, maybe so. I, I actually I, would probably give him a pass at this point, even though I don't agree with what he's doing. Mm-hmm. If he did come across, like you're saying, and there was some profound, this is what I'm going to do, this is what I think, and this specifically in this situation, or you know, whatever the case may be that he actually comes up with, I might sit there and go, wow, okay, that's cool. So what else are you going to do? You know, like now you have our attention now what and you know you so you mentioned that i know what i wanted to come back to you mentioned the the financial and so you said well you know you could really make a statement by saying i'm not gonna play you caught me off guard with that because because i didn't know you were thinking that but i'm i'm so glad you said it because that is something i said uh when the whole uh michael vick situation happened what i said was you know vick goes away to the the federal prison for a couple of years and then uh, he gets out, and then there's talk about him coming back, right? What needed to happen at that point is one player, and it needed to be a star. I'll use Tom Brady as an example because that's one of the few football players I can name. But it needed to be a household name, right, a guy like Tom Brady. One guy at that point needed to say, you know what, uh, I don't I don't play with pieces of shit like that. So – uh, I have more money than I ever need, and if he comes back in the league, I quit. Try me. That'd wow. be the last we would have ever heard about Michael Vick playing You're in the right. NFL. That would have been the end of that. And that is the that is the the squandered power and influence that somebody wow, like that really has profound. in think, that situation. I might have had to put a poster of that guy up on my wall for somebody to That's sit there saying. and have that kind of conviction yeah. and stand by it and put themselves. I mean, you just don't see people, guys that have that opportunity to be out there on that kind of platform now in the world don't do that. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I'm not taking away a harm. Hopefully, I mean, someone might right now, our fans can sit there and, and, and maybe hit me with a, a list of guys that are, you know, standing up and putting their, uh, their, their, their character and, you know, and their, their livelihood on the line to stand up for something. So, um, well, you know, actually somebody that actually I had a ton of respect for, um, uh, Richard Hunter. Yeah. Uh, no, uh, Oh, not me. Oh, the uh, the former Arizona Cardinal. You're talking about Pat Tillman. Yes, Pat Tillman. Thank you. I was drawing a blank big time. Yeah. Here's a Pat Tillman had a thought and a belief when uh, when 9-11 happened. He yep. didn't just sit there and put a pen or he didn't, you know, uh, MySpace post up about it. He sat there and turned down a multi-million dollar contract to enlist in our military, in the Army, became a Ranger, went across seas, and was fighting. And died. And died. Great I mean, example. I mean, that what, to me what was, more can you do? Wow. You know what I mean? Like, Pat Tillman is a, a hero. You know, like, I'm like, you know, not to diminish what other people, are, you know, anybody that gives up their life is a hero. Like, that's, you know, you only have one life to give. Um, but uh, other people sometimes, you know, 
it's like, but now I'm going to make you comfortable. I'm going to give you millions of dollars. You're going to have your dream job. You're going to give all that up to go ahead and stand by your convictions. And he did. And let me give you the flip side of that. Uh, but, but I mean, similar in terms of standing for conviction, but, but different in terms of, of, uh, uh, outcome and, and, and sacrifices involved. Muhammad Ali. Yes. There's somebody, that's a huge example. You're yeah. right. Muhammad Ali is a phenomenal example. But prison time? He did four years for, whether you agree with him or not. Right. He gave up prime years of his career, millions of dollars. Right. World to title. stand by his convictions. Yes. I both, respect both it. I mean, I'm not Muslim. I, I don't necessarily agree and with what he was saying, mm-hmm. but he, he put his ass on the line for what he believed in. He's like, you know what? If you're going to put me in right. prison, you're going to put me in prison. This is what I believe in. I'm like, wow, you're yeah. going to give up money. You're going to give up freedom to stand by your beliefs. How do you not now listen to what the guy has to say? Both That's of those. why then in 2000, was it 2000 that he uh, lit the uh, Olympic uh, right. torch? I don't know if it was 2000. I know, yeah. One don't of the Olympics, you know. Was, he, but yes, he, 96 know. maybe. Um, right. And, uh, you know, here he's representing, you know, the yes. world. Uh, well, okay. So, so two good examples there of standing on convictions and in the face of uh, uh, financial and, and, and penal sacrifice now let's go back to colin kaepernick for a second if colin kaepernick said uh i am uh you know i'm i'm concerned with the the way the world is going i'm concerned with violence in society i'm i'm concerned with systemic uh uh incarceration which which that's a very legitimate concern to me but if he was going to say um you know what i I want the. I'm going to take a stand against uh, woman beaters in the NFL. You know, I'm not saying that we're not going to have people who, uh, you know, have some drug charges or whatever. Maybe some things that have happened. Everybody doesn't have a completely squeaky clean criminal record. Maybe, uh, you know, going back to their college days or whatever. But if we're just talking about guys that beat the shit out of women, and you know, we have a problem in the NFL. When I refer to the the woman beater guy, and you say which one? Right, that's a problem. Then guess what? I, uh, with all my money and and my position as a team quarterback or whatever, I'm gonna take a stand against this, and I'm sitting my ass on the bench, uh, not just because the national anthem is being played, but I'm gonna stay seated here during the game until we clean the situation up a little bit. Mm-hmm. How about you, that? You could make some statements there. I yeah, mean, you could. Think about this: you're in the game, he drops back. So and so is wide open. He doesn't throw the ball to him. He takes the hit. They lose the game. He goes in the locker room. All the reporters are around him. They put the microphone in the face. They're like, you know, hey, so and so is wide open. You know, and here I'm not trying to uh, pigeonhole a wide receiver in particular. I don't know. I'm just, here's uh-huh. an example. I'm not going to throw to that guy. Well, why not? Well, because, you know, that guy is, uh, you know, is a convicted uh, domestic violence, uh, you know, four counts. They've been to his house. You know, hey, I can't tell them to cut the guy, but I'm not giving him the ball. Now we're getting creative. Yeah, I mean, just, you know, but th- that would sit there and Colin really make a Kaepernick, statement. Colin why did you take that sack? I allowed myself to be sacked the way Janae Rice got sacked in that elevator when Ray <laughs> Rice knocked. Yeah, exactly. See, now we're now we're getting somewhere. I mean, look, we're, we're I mean, a little bit of this is, uh, well, it's probably a lot of it, actually, if, if we're being pragmatic about it, is idealistic. But I think my point is, and maybe where we're agreeing here, if I hear this correctly, 
is that it, it's not that you want to make it's not that Colin Kaepernick wants to make a statement. It's that he could make a statement through actions that would be so much more impactful right. than what he's doing. He's getting a lot of people talking, sure, but what's really behind that? Now let's see some real action. Let's see what you're willing to do. And some real-life examples with real-life sacrifices like Pat Tillman, like Muhammad Ali, saying, guys we came up It's a very trivial with. sacrifice on his part just to take a knee during the uh, national mm-hmm. anthem. It's not really causing him any kind of grief. It's his freedom of speech that he gets to stand behind and enables him to do so. But the people that he's insulting, it makes me angry that he's insulting those individuals. It's it's like it's it's kind of like the easy way out. It's like okay, so you're not you know we're not no one's going to you're you know you're not losing any sleep over this, but you're really insulting some people that you know and you know there are you know uh, families out there that don't get to see their sons and daughters anymore uh, that died for this country, and those are the people that you're insulting here right now. Um, no, I don't agree with this as your outlet. You know, stand up for the national anthem. Again, I know that, again, you know, I guess freedom of speech, people, you know, should be entitled to do whatever. But, you know, certain aspects, our flag, you know, just, you know, should be, you know, sacred as an American citizen, a U.S. citizen. And then within that realm afterwards, protests, bring attention to yourself. I'm not saying I'm not against people, you know, hey, go ahead and, uh, you know, get a group of you together. Go and do a march, you know. Um, there, you know, the, we have the uh, right to assembly, you know. You want to enforce your right to uh, freedom of speech. Mm-hmm. Well, in this country, we have the right to assembly. We can get together into a group and start uh, bringing focus and attention uh, to uh, subjects. And, uh, you know, I mean, look at Martin Luther King, the right to assembly. He made great civil rights movements through that one act of just, we're all going to get together and we're going to march. And we're going to get our heads beaten in and we're not going to fight back because in the long run, that is going to make a bigger statement than if we just uh, riot. That's actually talking about Martin Luther King. Something that like when I first read it, I actually got choked up and was like on the verge. If someone had said, Frank, you know, say something, I couldn't talk. Because I, uh, I think I'd read it throughout grade school, but I was too young and didn't really pay attention. But then as I got older, you know, and, and reading on my own, not being forced to by a teacher, I read about the situation where they, uh, <clears throat> they tried to, you know, uh, bomb his house where his, his wife and his kids yeah. were. And so there he is on his front lawn, his house just freshly attacked by uh, hatred. And he has several <laughs> uh, able-bodied men that are now enraged, ready to go ahead and just, you make the call, Martin, and we're going, you know, like, let's go ahead and, you know, here's an opportunity where he could have went on a looting and rampaging uh, uh, march, and he said no. Right. He said no, that's not how we act, that's not how we behave. In a situation where I don't think that I'm that good of a person, that I wouldn't have done the same thing. If I thought someone tried to kill my wife and children and I was given 500 guys around my lawn going, let's go get these guys, I'd have been like, I, yes, let's, let's stop by the Walmart, we're going to loot that first to get some guns and ammo and we're going after these. Like My emotions would have got, okay. <laughs> the, got the better of me. Uh, and here a situation where you know, he didn't, they didn't loot and rob and and you know break into places and, and destroy businesses uh now is his wife and kids i mean what does he hold more dear in this world than that that's his most precious possessions in the world and and he did not strike back he saw the uh you know better than most human beings in this world he was able to see the bigger picture it's a it's a rare example of real strength in character and i see i because i couldn't have done it that's what yeah. respected me when i sat there i guess that's why i almost cried i'm like i will never be half 
that person you know the, the character that that person had i'm like wow that's just that's that's superhuman and when it comes to the kaepernick situation for me it's not you know i i differ from you in terms of like my visceral reaction to him staying seated for the anthem but it's more my reaction is okay now what do you have I see what you're doing. Now blow me away. Well, you're now a blow person me, of thought and yeah, substance. Blow me away with what you're going to say. It's better not just be an act of just right. to get let, attention. Let me, uh, let me share one, one last thought on this. And this is speaking to the NFL fan. All right? Fine if you're upset about Colin Kaepernick not standing for the national anthem. But if you find yourself more upset about this Colin Kaepernick situation than you are when you hear the names mentioned like Michael Vick, Ray Rice, Greg Hardy, Aaron Hernandez, Ray Lewis, who fled the scene of a double murder and then plea bargained his way out of that and then the very next year was accepting the Super Bowl MVP trophy with the Baltimore Ravens, your priorities are out of whack. Not saying you can't be upset about Colin Kaepernick, but if you if you compare your reaction to this Kaepernick thing to those others, and you're like, oh boy, nothing set me off like Colin Kaepernick sitting down for the national anthem, then I think your priorities are out of whack. No, I have to agree with you. You know, I mean it, it's it's and and you know we've had to deal with it uh, on occasion. In our own sport of mixed oh, yeah. martial arts, well, but aggressive it, men and women, yeah. But at least alpha, and, you know, you have sometimes people that you know. But at least, at least, though, Frank, when that that happens, and I I, I feel pretty good about saying this, that when there have been examples like uh, I don't know, like when it happened with I'll just pull a name out, like Brett Rogers, when that happened, mm-hmm. he got cut, and that's the last anybody heard of it. Yep. I mean, you know, it's and and no, even without those criminal charges. I mean, the way the UFC handled the situation with Anthony Johnson—that's right. There was uh, allegations of domestic violence brought up. Um, there was, you know, before it was a criminal case. Before he was in front of a judge, the uh, UFC launched its own internal investigation within house and looked at it and suspended him. I mean, he was suspended and wasn't even arrested. No, no, he wasn't. They erred on the side of caution. Right. They like, said, you know what? It, to- yeah, I mean. We're, it's you know being here is a privilege and and sorry but we're actually gonna it's gonna be a little bit of uh, guilty until proven innocent or at least under suspicion until proven innocent right. and and your career takes a back seat to the integrity of the organization so have a seat over here until we look into this and feel confident for ourselves there's nothing to it and I just think that uh, the the NFL would be well served to take a page out of that book but let me tell you the only way that's going to happen is if fans demand it speaking of public outcries mm-hmm. and if people would just take half of the here's the deal I'll make you fans have the ultimate power here's the deal they really do yeah, because at the end of the do. day you sell a product that has to be purchased. If you're the NFL, yeah. the NBA, the Major League Baseball, you're the UFC, Bellator, if, no matter who you are, at the end of the day, if the fans don't buy your product, you're out on the street. You're That's in trouble, right. You, know? you vote with your dollars. And here's, here's the deal I will make to all the NFL fans out there. Be as outraged as you want about Colin Kaepernick, call for this guy to be cut from the league and, and never be allowed to play again, as long as those other names that I mentioned, not the ones, obviously, who are already out of the league, but the guys who uh, are still eligible to play 
uh, like Vic, like Hardy, some of these guys, uh, have the at least the same level of outrage <laughs> and and uh, uh, and call for their heads the way you're calling for uh, Colin Kaepernick's. I think it's actually an opportunity for everybody to kind of examine uh, their own priorities because you, you're right, Frank. the The only reason that somebody like Ray, if 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 that tape of Ray Rice had never surfaced, if it had never gotten the mainstream media attention that it got outside of the NFL, he would have been suspended for two games and that would have been it. It's not that the NFL grew a conscience. It's that they could not fade the reaction from their sponsors because they were feeling the heat, not from NFL fans, but from people who didn't have any never watched an NFL game in their lives but all but they they buy Pepsi or whatever the product is and they're hearing that uh, uh, the NFL is enabling somebody like uh, Ray Rice and they weren't going to have it and you're right that's what led to his ouster that's why he can't get back in the league right. and then I guess the other part too that, that you know another aspect of the situation that I guess the, that irritates me with the uh, you know uh, Colin uh, is that here he's an example to our youth. A lot of kids look up to him, and it's a situation where he doesn't agree with something. It's like, okay, so now you're just going to be kind of, uh, you know, outspoken by being disrespectful to our national anthem by taking a knee. So that's your retaliation. That's how you're trying to get things done in our society. I think you know, like, okay, so that so that that's you know. What kind of message does that send? It's like, well, just now we just disrespect the flag and our national anthem and whatnot, and that's how I, you know, it's like, uh, that's not really a uh, a movement in itself. I don't think. I don't. I guess I don't see the end game in itself within that parameter. It's like, so I'm a young 18 year old kid sitting at home. I'm a fan, and I'm upset with how society is, and I see you taking a knee what are you doing for me? You know, okay, so that's what you're doing, but how is that helping my situation out? And how are you showing me what to do to step above the situation? Or what can I do to be productive in our society? And I think there's got to be personal sacrifice. You know, it's like... Uh, no, uh, like with the examples we brought up, a or, Tillman or, sure, or Holly. Or, 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 the, or the monk that sets himself on fire. You yeah. know, I mean, that's what I'm not, I'm not suggesting that Colin Kaepernick do that to his, his awesome mm, afro. At this point, it wouldn't bug me. But... <laughs> But but meaning that show where your personal sacrifice comes into play. Right. Show, no where it's, show where it's hitting you in the pocketbook. Let me tell you something. Let's let me bring it back to MMA for a second. Uh, somebody that I know a whole lot of people uh, don't agree with uh, politically, although uh, uh, I, I do in a lot of ways. But uh, Jeff Monson, <laughs> ask Jeff what it has cost him financially because I have. And he'll tell you. He'll tell you about all the sponsors that that his position, his political positions, cost him. And that was that was way back in the day. Can you imagine how Reebok would react to a Jeff Monson if Jeff Monson were the let's say the UFC heavyweight champion or a top contender, uh, espousing the types of views that he has? That would not be sitting well no. at all. But Jeff is a guy who has paid a financial price for standing by his convictions yes he has he got arrested right didn't he go down and i mean one of the times when he was trying to make a uh, noise and attention to one of his beliefs or thoughts uh one of his uh things that he was champion he went and uh well, one of the t- yeah, one of the times he got time. arrested for vandalism, which I, vandalism. I'm not endorsing that part. But but I do mean though that he is a guy who is of real conviction. Jeff Monson is a guy, 
and this is personal experience, my conversations with him. I know you know him as well, but he will he can tell you why he thinks what he thinks. Mm-hmm. You may not agree with it, but he can de- you will not walk away from him going, "Oh, that guy has no clue why he I mean, he you know, he can't even tell you the first thing about why he believes what he believes." And that's all I'm really looking for. You know, if however you're making the statement, if you can show me that there's substance behind it, uh, that's where I'm going to have respect for you. So, and you know what? Maybe, uh, maybe it has to do with the fact that I don't watch football and I barely knew this name, Colin Kaepernick. But maybe if I hear the guy interviewed, he'll be able to tell me uh, what the substance is behind this position. But I'd like to hear that. So, we'll uh, if if he if he uh, gets into that, you and I can yeah. watch the interview and break it down. Well, I guess he has an opportunity to kind of redeem himself at this point. You know. Again, I didn't agree with how he opened the door, but if he comes through with some substance and some meaning, and then uh, you know, it, it might go ahead and give. Uh, you know, in hindsight, it'll be one of those situations where maybe the uh, the ends justified the means. Ladies and gentlemen, that is another one of those late night world saving conversations that Frank Mir and I have on the back porch of Stately Mir Manor here, deep into the night. And uh, we've, uh, we've, we've taken you on that journey once again. So we thank you for being with us. We do this twice a week for you. New episodes post every Tuesday and Friday. And, uh, Frank, you know, we talk about uh, we, we, the T-shirts at phoneboothfightingshop.com. We talk about come out and see us live, support us that way. But uh, I'll, I'll, I'll let you have the floor to tell everybody. How to what, follow? What is, well, we're getting to that. But, but, but before we do that, t- tell everybody what the single most important thing is that they can do for us to help us grow the show. Share it with a friend. Tell somebody else that, uh, obviously, if you like the show, and tell somebody that, that you're friends with that obviously probably thinks a little bit like you and mm-hmm. is open-minded and you know, the type of person that might not agree wholly with myself or agree completely with uh, Richard, but you're somebody that you know can understand why you think the way you think and you like the exchange of ideas back and forth. Well, you're the kind of guy that we want to subscribe or woman to subscribe to our show. And so um, the more the merrier, the more people we can get together with, you you know, that type of mind that we just want to, you know, different viewpoints and all get together. You know, tell a buddy. Let's make this thing bigger. Tell a friend. Tell Colin Kaepernick. I'd tell you to tell Jeff Monson, but he he already listens to the show. All right, Frank, tell everybody uh, how, to, uh, how to follow us, how to reach us. Well, you can follow us on Phone Booth Fighting on our Facebook and our Instagram. And then Phone Booth Fight on Twitter and Snapchat. Yes. Yeah, man. Did you rehearse that this Absolutely week? Absolutely fucking rehearsed it. <laughs> you know, it was one of those things where I'm like, ah, it's so easy. I kept underestimating it. Yes. Like, ah, come on, come on. But then after a while, I'm like, you know what? I just have to acknowledge that I have a shitty memory with things that sometimes don't mean, you know. Now, that doesn't mean something to me, but it's not like an emotional impact, you know, uh, information told to me. So I just, I wrote it down on the phone, kept looking at it in my notes, and uh, made sure I... Uh, eliminate any more uh of our comical aspect to the end of our uh sign off here you know what you say that but you deserve credit because your uh your stand-up comedy debut you did the better part of 10 minutes with no notes that was ballsy (laughs) i I mean i didn't want to discourage i didn't i didn't say anything about it at the time because i didn't want to like get in your head about it but i was no notes i was very impressed with the fact that you did that i mean not even a little you know sometimes even now i mean if i'm doing newer material i'll have a little 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 card that's just got a couple of key words down on the stool or something like that but uh, i was afraid if i had to put it on the stool little notes 
mm-hmm. just even if it was just been like a, a word here and there to keep me uh, organized and outline that uh, people would have been like, oh, see, his comedy act was written and he's just, you know, reading it off. You know, well, that's a, you went the extra miles. Uh, what made it so impressive? All right. You can uh, follow him on uh, social media at the frank mirror that's twitter and instagram and official frank mirror on facebook you can follow me on social media twitter and instagram at richard hunter and on facebook at official richard hunter and of course our communal snapchat as frank mentioned is phone booth fight and uh that's worthy of a second mention because this uh sunday as we go to la for Eddie Bravo Invitational, not only will we be recording an episode of Phone Booth Fighting, but we'll be Snapchatting as we go. So uh, make sure you're following us on Snapchat at Phone Booth Fight by the weekend, and uh, you'll have uh, multiple ways to uh, journey along with us as we uh, go to EBI 8. And speaking of EBI 8, as I said, Eddie Bravo will be with us on uh, Friday's edition of the show to break down what's in store for us uh, Sunday on UFC Fight Pass. For Frank, I'm Richard. We appreciate you tuning in to Phone Booth Fighting, and we'll see you later on the week. Everybody was Kung Fu Fighting Those kids were fast as lightning In fact, it was a little bit frightening But they fought with Chinaman from funky Chinatown. There were chop-